when Bill and uh, Genevieve uh, Gore looked over their financial circumstances where they were at at this particular point in their life, they seemed to be set, just set financially. He had a good, stable income as a researcher at DuPont, and he was practically guaranteed a comfortable life, a nice retirement, but with all of this going for him, stable income, just bright future, financially speaking, he decided to leave it all and start a new business with his wife in the basement of their home. So his friends thought he was crazy. He was due for a big promotion at DuPont. He was leaving before that. And he and his wife had five children, two of whom were in college. And those of you who have kids in college, you know what that means. Really, they had a lot of expenses. How was he going to be able to cover all these expenses? But they, started, they decided to start a new business at this point. And so what they did to start this new business was they mortgaged their home, they dipped into their savings, and they began hiring workers. <laughs> but when they hired workers, they asked them to accept room and board in their home in place of salaries. So everyone was living there in their home. They're starting the business in the base of their home. It was quite, a, quite an adventure. As Bill got his business going, he decided to use a really unique business model that, that um, removed bosses from the work structure. So every employee was valued, every employee was, was relied upon for um, and, and held accountable for productivity by their fellow coworkers. It's a really unique business model, but in, in this environment, it really encouraged innovation and productivity. They were really, really successful at cranking out new products. Eventually, their employees brought in more revenue, actually twice as much revenue, than the employees at DuPont. It was very successful. And the company became famous. Fortune magazine often mentions this company as one of the top companies where people enjoy their work. People want to work for this company. You may not recognize the name Bill Gore, but you probably have heard of Gore-Tex and a variety of other products like Teflon and things like that. Those are all products that this man and his wife, Bill and Genevieve Gore, were responsible for developing. Their company developed these things. Had Bill Gore decided to play it safe and remain at DuPont, he would have missed out on the experience of building a multi-million dollar company with thousands of employees who love going to work every day. Yeah, playing it safe, there, there's a place for safety. Certainly, we should hold on to assets at, in, in a proper way. Certainly, we should save money in proper ways. But if comfort, if holding on to what we have is our primary goal, if that's our main reason for doing what we do, then we run the risk of being disappointed because there's more to life than living for temporary things. You were made for a greater purpose. You were made for something eternal. If you're just joining us today, we're in the middle, lately we've been talking, we're in the middle of this sermon series called Welcoming Abundance. We've been talking lately about um, the, this concept of stewardship. And the Bible says a lot about money. It encourages us to work hard. It encourages us to <clears throat> prosper financially. 
Because God wants us to be blessed in every way, including our finances. Jesus himself said, I have come so that we can have, he's, he's giving us humanity by his coming to this earth, abundant life. That includes our finances. Jesus is, is interested in this. But if our primary concern, if our main concern is being comfortable and having nice things, we actually risk missing out on the abundant life. So we're going to talk about a teaching from the scripture today about how we can experience this abundance that God wants for us to have. The title of the message this morning, as you've heard it already uh, in our service today, is Saved from Playing It Safe. And before we get into the Bible, I'd like to just pray here. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the risks that you take. And I pray that as you take a risk on us sharing your truth with us, I pray that we would be receptive. We ask that your Holy Spirit would prevail in our hearts and that we would receive words of abundant life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25, so I'd like to invite you to go there at this time. If you'd like to use the Pew Bible, it's page 994. Uh, Matthew chapter 25. Here, Jesus gives us some unpleasant news in this chapter concerning his return, concerning the advent. The chapter begins, the first few verses begins with a parable about ten virgins, ten attendants to a Jewish wedding. It was their job to wait in the evening for the groom to arrive, and they had their lamps, they had these little oil lamps, and they were supposed to keep them lit. It was their job to to wait for the arrival of the groom and the wedding party, and then they were going to walk with the groom and go proceed with with him and and his bride, and the wedding would, would continue on at a specified location. And so they were waiting for the groom for this wedding celebration. The problem was is that the groom took much longer than expected to arrive. And so the attendants, they all fell asleep. And at midnight, when the groom finally showed up and the cry went out, the groom is coming. Half of them were unprepared. Half of these attendants were foolish, according to the Bible. They were unprepared for the delay. They didn't have extra oil in their lamps, and because they had to go off and get extra oil in order to to be able to accompany the groom and his wedding party to the wedding celebration, these foolish virgins that were not prepared, these five, were, uh, they, they missed out on the celebration. Since the Bible, in its various places in the Bible, compares God to a groom and the church to a bride when Jesus talks in terms of a wedding. It refers to the coming of Christ to receive his bride. That's what this parable is about. It's about the the second coming where Jesus comes back and takes his people to be with him forever to live happily ever after. And as wonderful as this event will be, and I'm looking forward to it, and I'm so glad that Advent is part of our names as Seventh-day Adventists. We look forward to the Advent or the coming of Christ Um, As wonderful as this event will be, the point of this is that we won't be ready if we are not prepared for delay. This is anticipated in the Bible. And so Jesus wants us to know that there's going to be a delay, but if we're not ready for that delay, if we're not prepared for that, we won't be ready to receive Jesus when he comes back. To save us from being unprepared, because God wants everyone to be saved, Jesus teaches us to risk everything 
for his cause. Listen to what he says in this parable, starting with Matthew, uh, in chapter, Ma- chapter 25 of Matthew, starting with verse 14. I'll read to verse 18. Jesus speaks here, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold. To another, two bags. And to another, one bag. Each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Judging by the amount of money that the man in this parable gives to his servants, he is clearly an unusually wealthy man. Verse 15 tells us the the monetary unit. In in the New International Version, it describes it as a bag of gold uh, or bags of gold. In other translations, it's referred to simply as talents. Um, But this was a unit of measuring wealth. And it was worth, one talent was worth about 20 years' wages. So in our currency today, kind of figuring on, actually, in, this, you know, in the state of Oregon, based on the minimum wage, 20 years' wages at minimum wage, working six days a week, eight hours a day, be about six, actually, it's a little over $600,000. That'd be one talent. So figuring this, this man is giving based upon these, these figures, this man gives his servants, the first servant gets five bags of gold, which would be over $3 million. Here you go, $3 million, boom. The next man, two, uh, the second servant who receives two bags of gold, a $1 million. And the third servant, over $600,000. That's a lot of money he's giving out. When Jesus says that the master gave his wealth to his servants, These servants were people that were not used to having a lot of money. The word translated servant literally means slave. These are people that basically have nothing that they own. And he's giving them huge amounts of money. They basically have nothing, and yet the master entrusts all this money to these slaves. But not only does he give them lots of money, what's interesting as we read the parable is that the master doesn't seem to be very concerned about what the slaves would do with it. Notice the master when, in, in this parable, he doesn't lecture the slaves as he's giving his money. He doesn't say, all right, I'm going to give you a lot of money, but it's going to be just for a trial period. I'm going to be looking over your shoulder for a few months to make sure that everything goes smoothly. Then when I get some good evidence that everything is going to be fine, then I'll go on my journey. He doesn't do that. He simply gives them huge amounts of money and leaves. It's as if the master in this story fully trusts these slaves to know what the right thing to do would be with his money. Last week, Dr. Haugen, he talked about the importance of trusting God and how God calls upon us to give because through giving, our trust in him grows. Super important to trust in God, to trust in our Savior. But in this parable, God takes a different look. He gives us a different perspective on this issue of trust. 
In this parable, Jesus highlights how God actually trusts us. Consider for a moment what God has entrusted you with. He has given to each person the power to choose. And you can exercise this power to choose to do some really amazing things for other people and do amazing things in this world, to do some really good things. But you can also exercise this power to choose to do things that are really not so amazing. You can do great evil with your power of choice. If you're a follower of Jesus this morning, God has entrusted you with the responsibility of representing him. Think about that for a moment. What you do and what you say has influence to either lead people to Christ or lead people away from Christ. This is a huge responsibility. God has given us resources. He's given us time. He's given us skill. He's given us financial resources. He's given us influence. And he's done all of this knowing full well that each one of us have the capacity to make mistakes, and we each have the capacity to deliberately make bad decisions. (laughs) And yet God trusts us. If God was all about playing it safe, he would not be trusting sinful people with his wealth. But even though this is a really big risk that God is taking with each one of us, he takes this risk responsibly. I'd like to highlight something in verse 15 here. It says that he gives these big sums of money, but he doesn't just do it however. He doesn't just randomly bless people with his wealth. He gives according to our ability. God created you. He knows what your ability is. And, and that's a really good thing because sometimes he has a better awareness, I would say all the time, um, I would argue all the time, that he has a better awareness of our abilities to manage wealth than even we do ourselves. And so he gives us huge gifts. He gives us large amounts of resources, but it's based upon the ability that he understands each one of us has. So whether you are a five bags of gold kind of person or whether you're a one bag of gold kind of person, the bottom line here in this parable is that either way, God gives us all a lot to work with. He doesn't give small sums of money to his servants. He's giving a lot of money. He trusts us with a lot. The question is, will you use, will I use what God has given to us, or will we play it safe? Notice what happened in verses 16 and 17. The man given five bags of gold, he put his money to work right away. He didn't wait at all. He said, okay, I've got three million dollars here. I'm going to go put it to work. He puts it to work right away. And the Bible says that he received a hundred percent return on his investments. His five bags of gold earned five more bags The man who was given two bags of gold did the same thing. He went to work right away and used all that he was given. And when he went to work right away and used all that he was given, he saw 100% return again. There seems to be something that Jesus is trying to get across here, that when God gives us blessing, when he gives us resources, if we use it right away and if we use all of it, he's going to bless us. That's the implication here. They all doubled their money when they used it. And these results prove that the master is a good judge of ability. These servants here were wildly successful because they used what God gave them, what their master gave them. Sadly, one servant was too afraid, though, to use his money. 
and he decided to play it safe. Maybe he was thinking, you know, I'm really too inexperienced as a slave to be managing over $600,000. I mean, half a million dollars, that's a lot of money. You know, maybe I'm not worthy to be working with such a big blessing. And so he decided to bury what he was given. In a way, I can't blame him. I mean, the possibility of losing all that money, that had to have been scary. I'm I'm sure his heart was pounding, or his heart would have been pounding if this was a real story. Um, When he was given this much money, being a slave, what's he going to do with it? But when God gives us wealth, when God blesses us, when he gives us his gifts, the only safe course of action is to use it. I'm sure when when this man buried his gift in the ground, he was thinking, oh man, this is really going to keep things safe. But actually, the, the point of this story is to the contrary. The only safe way to manage what God has given us is to use all of it. The man who was given five and the man who was given two bags of gold, they used all of it, and it was kept safe. Not only was it kept safe, but they doubled what they had. But the man who chose to bury it and who chose to play it safe, he suffered some really bad consequences. He missed out on the words of Jesus. We find it in, in, in verses 21 and uh, 23. The, these men who received the five and the two bags of gold and they put them to use, the master says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I think that's so interesting, with a few things. Really? Three million dollars. That's a few. It's pocket change for God. A million dollars, half a million. You've been faithful with a few things. I'm going to now give you more. Enter. Come share in the happiness of your master. They have this wonderful experience because they put it all to use. They took a big risk. But when the servant who buried his money explains what he did, listen to what the Bible says. Jump down to verse 28, please, with me. So the master says to this man, Take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, now this man had a bag of gold, but he lived as if he did not have it. He buried it and went on with his life as if he had nothing. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I hesitated to read this verse to you because it really seems harsh. These are terrible consequences. I mean, what a harsh thing to do to a man. I mean, he played it safe. Couldn't there be worse things? He could have gambled it all away. He could have lost it. He didn't do that. These are terrible consequences. The man is stripped of his wealth. He's thrown into outer darkness where the Bible says there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. It can't get much worse than this. Death would be preferable to a life of torture, of living in darkness, of weeping and gnashing of teeth. And all because the man played it safe. I realize that as we, you know, we look at this and say, man, would God really do something? I mean, the master in this story is supposed to represent God. Would God really do something like that to, to people? It sounds too harsh. But the consequences that are listed here, 
are actually not a commentary on the character of God. Please don't miss this. Jesus is not trying to explain the character of God. God does not like to take things from people. He does not like to torture people. He does not like to say, oh yeah, I want to see you be in a place of darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. That is not a commentary on the character of God. What it is, is a commentary on the consequences of not using what God has given. When we fail to use what God has given us, the results are miserable. I mean, just think of this in simple terms. If you fail to use the the body that God has given you and the muscles that God has given you, they are going to atrophy and you will be miserable. If you fail to use the knowledge that you have, eventually you'll lose it all and it's going to end in misery. It's a miserable place to be when we also do not use the gifts that God has given us, the finances that God has given us. When we live in fear of losing what we have, we miss out on the peace and the purpose that God designs for each one of us. You can have a lot of money, but if you hoard it all and you don't use it for the master, you can be miserable. There's a lot of people to illustrate this. God wants to save us from the terrible consequences of playing it safe. He wants to save us from this misery. And so he gives us wealth, and then he tells us to follow him. When it came to saving us, I'm so thankful that Jesus did not play it safe. He came as a baby. Think about that. He came as a vulnerable baby and was born under the reign of a bloodthirsty, jealous king named King Herod, who issued a decree trying to kill Jesus. That doesn't sound like a real safe environment. Jesus was born in a manger where he could have gotten all kinds of infections. Jesus was given to poor parents who didn't have the resources of, of course, of of the wealthy, and, and he was disadvantaged in many ways that we would consider, you know, man, this, a, a king should not be raised like this. Jesus took some really big risks in coming to this earth. He came as a human being. He was subject to temptation. The Bible says that he was tempted in all points like as we are. And Satan did his best to, to tempt Jesus, to try to get him to fall. He waited for Jesus to be at his weakest point, and he gave his all to try to get Jesus to sin. Had Jesus sinned, we would all have been lost. It was a big risk. When Jesus was considering, when he was headed towards the cross and considering what lay ahead, his humanity shrunk from the agony he would face. And he flat out prayed to God that God would give him an easier way to save humanity. Had Jesus played it safe, we'd all be lost. But he risked everything for us. And in so doing, He not only saves us, he also shows us how to be safe. How to live an abundant life. And the only way to be safe is to risk everything that we have for him. Abundance is not found in the things that we've been given. Abundance is not found in in the the life, the time, the the abilities, the, the finances that you might be entrusted with. That's not where abundance is found. Abundance is found in maximizing everything and risking everything we have for God's cause. That's where abundance is found. A while ago, I worked at a boarding academy, 
And uh, one of the big things that we did was we hosted a football tournament. All kinds of different schools came from different places to play in this weekend football tournament. And as the campus pastor, I was in charge of planning outreach. So over, over 700 people would typically be on campus during this, this event. And so I was in charge of planning and outreach. And year after year, we would send, send the players on Sabbath afternoon after church. We'd meet for church and, and send them out for outreach in the afternoon to go and collect bags of non-perishable food items to give to people who are hungry, give to a food bank in the area. And as, you know, as good as that sounds, this was, to, to put it mildly, this was probably the low point for all of the players of the weekend. They did not look forward to Sabbath afternoon outreach. Many of the players would show up late to go out into the community and go door to door and ask for non-perishable food items, and they would often do it half-heartedly. They'd come back early, and the food bank would give us these, they were like these 50-gallon barrels, big barrels, and, and so the people would come back with their bags of food, and they would put the, the non-perishable food items in these barrels. There's a lot of people going out, or 700 people going out collecting food. You'd imagine that we could fill up quite a few barrels. I think the most that, that we had collected um, was like maybe eight or ten barrels of food. And, and it wasn't that great of an experience. People didn't really enjoy doing it. And then, you know, as, as we sat back and realized, you know, and thought about what we're doing, we're like, man, this really seems like, like we're not really maximizing what we could do here. I mean, it, it seems like we could really collect a lot more food for those who are hungry. So many people going out of the community. And so the following year, as, 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 we, as we decided to, to plan this, this event again and do the outreach, I, I did some soul searching and I realized that I wasn't putting my whole heart into it. I realized that, that you know, I was, I was holding back. I was kind of playing it safe in a way. I was like, oh, we kind of have to do an outreach. Just, you know, we'll just do this and we'll move on. And I realized that I, re- I really needed to give it my all. That God was, God was calling me to do that. So the next year when the tournament rolled around, we decided to ask the food bank for, I, we, we were just like, we're, we're just going to go for it. And we decided to ask the food bank for, I, th- I think it was like 30 50-gallon barrels. Prior to this point, we'd, at the most, we'd collected 10. We're like, bring us 30 50-gallon barrels. And we're going to set them out, out outside the church. And we're going to still plan to go out into the community Still going still gonna to do that, but we're going to pull out all the stops. We brought in a guest speaker. We told the young people about, hey, this is why we're doing it. In that county there, I think one-fourth of the children, one out of every, every four children, were undernourished. And all the food that they collected was going to go to a food bank, and it was going to make a difference for young people who were hungry. And so they, they were listening to this, and it was good, and, and we're going to go out, and we're going we're to do this. But before sending them out, I wanted to let them know how important this was to me. And so I told them, listen, if all of you go out and you fill our 30, 50-gallon barrels of food, fill them up before sundown this afternoon, the athletic director and I will shave our heads. It, it was amazing. Like, when we put our whole heart into it, when I let them know, hey, this really matters to me, and, and to let you know that I'm serious, I'm going to put some skin in the game here. Go, you can go ahead and shave my head if we do this. The whole atmosphere was completely different. 
as, as we finished church and, and they ate their meal quickly, they're like, get out the shears, pastor, because it's coming off. You know, they were, they, were, they were super excited to get into the vans and they were like, yeah, let's go. And they were tearing out of the parking lot and they were coming back with bags and bags of food. And I think before five o'clock, they, we probably could have filled 40, 50 gallon barrels. Like they filled up all the 50 gallon barrels and there was bags of food all outside of there. It wouldn't fit in the containers that the food bank had given us. So that evening as everyone showed up for the games, I showed up bald. But I felt so alive. I felt so alive. You know, there's something that happens when we leverage everything that we have for the kingdom of God. I'll tell you why I think it is that I felt so alive. Because it was no longer me hoarding on to temporary things, things that like comfort, things like safety, things like my hair, <laughs> um, that things that are not going to last forever. I wasn't placing a priority in that. Those things are good. Those things are important. There's, there's nothing wrong with those things per se. But when we put our hope in temporary things, we're going to be disappointed because we were made for eternity. And it felt so good to put my priorities on something so much more important than just my temporary comfort. I think that's what Jesus is trying to get across to each one of us today. He wants us to have abundant life. And even though it's a temptation for us to want to play it safe with the things that we have, he's telling us that the way to abundant life is actually risking everything for him. That's where abundant life is found. If you're tempted to play it safe with things in your life, or maybe you've experienced that in the past, maybe you've decided to bury your God-given potential, bury your ability to bless others, to hold on to it, because maybe you'd need it for later. Maybe you're unworthy in some way. Maybe it's just too risky, and you're just too scared, or you're just underqualified. I want to invite you to consider the point of Jesus' story here. And I'd like to invite you to think about the one who's telling that story. To think about Jesus. To think about the one who risked it all for us. When Jesus died on the cross, he had no assurance that anyone would accept him. But he did it for the hope that we would accept him, that some of us would. He put it all on the line. Consider Jesus when you're thinking of playing it safe. And let his life inspire you to maximize all of your resources for the good of his kingdom, for, for, for the blessing of others. This may seem scary, no doubt. It's a scary thing to risk it all. But when we use what God has given to us for his cause, we cannot fail. Because you're not alone. Jesus is right there with you. Where is his heart? His heart is not in burying stuff and keeping good things from people. His heart is using it all for the potential blessing of those around us. So as we follow his example, he is with us, and God does not fail. Jesus does not fail. Success is assured as we do this. God is with us. Risking everything for Jesus is how we welcome abundance, and it's how we experience what these two servants experienced in the story. When Jesus comes back to this earth, he's going to say to those who are willing to follow him, who are willing to, to maximize everything for his kingdom, he's going to say to us those beautiful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Thank you so much for trusting us. This is a crazy risk that you make in trusting us with your work here on this earth. And I pray that you would forgive us if we have played it safe, if we have looked at ourselves, or if we have valued things more than your cause. Forgive us. And I pray, God, that we would have hearts to receive your inspiration, to be courageous and bold and maximize everything for your kingdom. Oh God, may you come back soon and may each one of us hear those words, well done. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.